Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. YouTube Music is the new app that combines everything you would expect from a streaming service with the magic of YouTube to bring everything to life. With YouTube Music Premium, you'll get ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while using other apps. Get music wherever you want it, even if you're offline. So download the new YouTube Music app today and start a free 30-day trial. Then you just pay $9.99 a month. Terms and restrictions, of course, apply. But this is the real deal, people. Download it and enjoy music the best way possible with YouTube Music Premium. Okay? Now, here's the show. What's up, everybody? How are you doing this evening or afternoon or whatever time it is you're listening to this beautiful podcast? I call it beautiful because I enjoy it so much. And thank you for listening to this discussion on independent music on the podcast, 100 Words or Less. Boom. Yeah, that's what we got. I'm Ray Harkins hanging out with you, hanging out with other people who are involved in this independent music community, finding out about why they care about it so much, why they still stick around, why they play in bands, why they put out records, why they take photographs, why they just care about this thing so much. Like me, as, as I get older, I just, it, it, it attaches me to this thing even more because of seeing how everything else exists in the world. It's like, not only is it, it this beautiful subculture, but it's such a amazing escape, an amazing a community, so much stuff. But who's the guest this week? I know, I, I, I presume you probably have no idea because uh, you cannot read. <laughs> no, of course you can read. You know that the guest this week is Louis Aponte, the drummer of incredible hardcore band called Jesus Peace from Philadelphia. I was aware of this band. And, uh, I, I enjoyed what they did. I was like, okay, that, that first, uh, the first release there's was cool. And then, you know, obviously they were doing their fair share of touring and playing with cool bands and, you know, getting their name out there. But it wasn't until this full length where I really, really reckoned with them and said, holy crap, this record is bludgeoning. It's brutal. It's everything that I like about a modern hardcore record. It's, uh, yeah, it's just so good. I love it. <laughs> and so I hit up uh, their their PR person, and we kind of uh, we were able to make this happen. And uh, Luis actually, uh, his girlfriend, his significant other, appeared on the show. Uh, I don't know. This was maybe like a year or so ago. Uh, Melissa from a band called Small Circle, which is put out a really really good record last year. And so I had her on, and then um, yeah, it all you know it's full circle. We keep it in the family here, right? But uh, it's the holiday season, right? We are approaching the fact and the, the time in which you need to think about gifts for people. And there's no better place to give gifts than rockabilia.com. And use the code PCJabberJaw, and that will give you 15% off your order. And uh, for the music lover in your life, like you could probably get, I would say 95% of your gifts, you know, like maybe if your you know, uncle isn't a music lover, or your mom or your dad or whatever, but everybody else you'll be able to find their perfect gift on rockabilia.com from 
shirts to long sleeves to hoodies to flags to posters, whatever it is that you think they might like, Rockabilia has. And I love their company so much. Fast shipping, amazing customer service, and uh, they know what they are doing, okay? Trust me, when you order from them, you will be taken care of to the utmost degree, okay? So PC Jabberjaw gets you 15% off, dive in there, order away, and you will, uh, you'll love it, okay? And then you'll be like, yo, I got all my gifts, you know? They get shipped directly to me, toss them in a gift bag, boom, done, done for the year, done on, you know, December 13th or something like that, which is something I need to do, right? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, rockabilly.com, thank you very much for your, your eternal support of this show. I had an interesting experience this weekend. I went to Arizona with a friend of mine who, uh, you know, what I would define as a quote unquote civilian. And I mean that, uh, you know, in a non-derogatory sense, he, uh, you know, he's a little bit younger than me, like maybe 30 years old. So eight years younger than me, but, uh, you know, really hasn't been exposed to, you know, subculture. So, so to speak, uh, his, political beliefs and kind of like who he is as a person is what I like to call uh, subculture adjacent <laughs> where he has uh, the, these, uh, you know, these beliefs that I'm like, Oh man, like there's a lot of people, you know, in the punk and hardcore community that uh, feel that same way. But, uh, I would, we went out to Phoenix for uh, a few different reasons. One of them was to visit my, my grandmother who's uh, 88, 89 years old. She's, she's up there, but, uh, I love her dearly and just haven't got a chance to see her. So I was able to do that. And then we also went out to see a five finger death punch show. One of my friends, uh, Doc Coyle, who is a previous guest on this, uh, this very podcast, he plays in a band called bad wolves that was opening the show. And so my friend likes five finger death punch. And he was like, Hey man, that'd be fun. And I'm like, yeah, I can get us into the show for $0. Would you be interested in that? So we rolled into the town on Friday night and, uh, lo and behold, drug church and gouge away. were playing at uh, the local venue out there, uh, pub rock live, if I'm not mistaken. So I was like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to go to the show? It's like, you've, you've never really probably been to a punk or hardcore show. And he's like, no, I'm all about it. So it was really, really cool because, you know, we take this for granted. We go to shows all the time, or even if we don't go all the time anymore, we've been to enough of these shows to kind of feel it, you know, and kind of understand what's happening. Like, you know, I walk into a room like that and I don't think twice about it, but, um, watching it through someone else's eyes and kind of experience and seeing how they viewed it was awesome. It was so, so cool. And the show was great. Um, we were able to hang out with, uh, my good friend Patrick after, uh, they played and also said hi to, uh, Christina from gouge away. She was, uh, you know, a guest on the show, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, but, uh, it was great. I just loved having that experience. And then the next night I loved having the complete opposite experience where it's like, you know, we were at their arena, uh, which is like the, you know, AK pavilion or something. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but, um, you know, it's like 14, 15,000 people, you know, huge rock show, tons of production, just really interesting to see. Um, and it was cool. I got to see doc play with bad wolves and, you know, bad wolves are a pretty successful band at this point. They got a good head of steam going on and, uh, watching them kind of set up. It was just like, Oh man, they got their, you know, they have their huge banner, but you know, it's no frills, you know, they're just getting up there with their amps their mics and their, their, you know, in your monitors and they're, they're doing the damn thing. Um, and then, yeah, they played with Breaking Benjamin as well. Um, you know, who I personally am not a fan of, nor am I a fan of uh, five, five finger death punch, but watching these shows was, uh, you know, was, was pretty breathtaking because <laughs> here's these huge stage shows and huge production. And it was really, um, it was engaging to watch, like whether or not I, you know, you like the music, just watching a show of that level is really, really interesting. So, 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting that you go run out and uh, go see a five finger death punch show, but you know, if you have an opportunity like I did to where it's like, Oh yeah, maybe I'll be able to check this out. It, uh, you know, broadens your horizons a little bit. So <laughs> anyways, uh, a little sidetrack there, but I just thought that it was, it was an interesting observation. Uh, so yeah, Luis, the drummer for Jesus Peace, it was a great conversation. He was, uh, actually up in the woods at a, uh, yogi retreat and had to, uh, you know, there's a little bit of spotty, uh, reception here or there, but, uh, you know, not enough to where it would really, uh, you know, derail the conversation. There was just a little few patches towards the beginning, but we ironed it out and it worked out perfectly. So here he is. And I will talk to you after the episode is over. Jesus piece I, I became aware of, you know, I mean, when you guys, uh, came onto the scene and, you know, released your, you know, your first seven inch and everything. And it was, you guys were a band. I always kind of, uh, paid attention to in the periphery. Like I listened to the stuff and I was like, that's, right. cool. that's cool. That's cool. Um, but then right. once you guys drop the LP, uh, you know, I feel, and I'm sure you've encountered this many times yourself where, you know, that's like the, that's like a band's real first statement, you know, where it's like, okay. Yeah. We've, we've done a demo. You know, we've done a seven inch. Say that. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. Cause I think that's, that that's the case for a lot of people. And even myself, actually, like listening back on the seven inch after like, I would say a year or maybe less looking at the seven inch. I was like, that is not us. Like that was like a very, that was like me, John and Dave, like, you know, we had, we didn't have a job or anything. We were just like, you know, just messing around and then we just came up with that EP and then Aaron always wanted to make like a heavy band. And so he was like, Oh, we should do this. And I was like, okay, well we're writing these songs. And then aunt literally came up to me at a show one time. and was like, I'm playing bass or something like something super weird. And like, and then now that we put this LP, like we've been dying to put out new music because like, for a long time, but people have always felt that way. Like, oh, I, uh, I've always wanted to check you out. I listened to the EP, wasn't really feeling it. But then I saw you guys live, and I was like, oh, this is, like, way different. And, like, I think that this LP is an actual, like, better depiction of who we are as a band because <clears throat> we have, like, this energy when we play live, in my opinion, that's, like, like blows our 7-inch out of the water. Like, our 7-inch can't even it just doesn't even make any sense that it would be even the same band. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the music's the same, but the energy is way different and the yeah. mood is different. Yeah. Oh so no. I think, that, I think that this, this, excuse me, what? No, no, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. So like, I think this LP is like a really good, like bridge and like depiction of like what we, what I personally would like to hear from us. And I don't know, I'm just like really proud of it. So I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that this is like the first, actual LP that we dropped. And this is actually my first personal LP that I've ever dropped. I was working on one. I used to be in a, a black metal band and we worked on it for a while, but it just, a lot of things happened and it never came out. So this is my first LP ever. And I'm really, really, really happy with it. Yeah, no, that's, that's really exciting. Cause yeah, it is, you know, when you first start messing around with, you know, bands and releasing stuff like, you know, yeah. When you're releasing a demo or a seven inch, like, you know, nothing feels quote unquote serious, you know, you're just doing it because it, right. but then like, once another person kind of invests in your band, you know, even if it's like, yo, we'll give you a couple thousand dollars to record a record. You're like, whoa, like 
okay. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. Yeah, like, I guess I need to take this more seriously. And then, you know, that that kind of pushes you to that that spot where you could, you know, have the time to actually represent yourself appropriately. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I think, you know, and for the writing process for this, it was like, what, the fact that we were assigned on the Southern Lord and the fact that we did have a deadline, I think that definitely gave us a lot of pressure, but it was a lot of good pressure. And the fact that like we would have taken like forever to put another out because we were touring nonstop, like straight up. Like I would say like one year we did like nine months out of a year or something. I don't know, but like we were touring nonstop. So we didn't really have time to write. So the fact that we had a deadline and that people eventually, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, writing articles like, well, who knows when they're going to release their LP, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? We should get on, we should get on this. And we, and don't get me wrong. We were like trying to write stuff, but all of us are really, really big perfectionists and like super weird about how we want things to go. So we were, we were writing songs and just straight scrapping them. Like that happened so many times. Right. So I don't know, like it, it took a while, but I thought it was well worth it, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And like you said, you know, it's the, it's the first thing that you've done where you, you can look back on it. Cause you know, usually bands, you are most critical of your material, even after, you know, whatever, a week after you've released something, you're like, all right, well, I'm on to the right. next thing that, that, that thing sucks. But yeah, you, you have the ability to like, look at what you've just released and be like, oh yeah, like I'm proud of that. Right. And I, I just knew what we were capable of after releasing the seven inch. Like I didn't think anything of this and I never thought it would ever take off. And, you know, in, in any way, you know, and the fact that anybody even cares at all was like a really, really big deal to me. And, um, you know, and I knew that we were all like really great musicians, but honestly, like t- the amount of touring and like shows we played and the experience we had that, that actually helped us like write this record a lot better. Cause you, you, you listen to the seven inch, my drums on that as compared to my, the 12 which is like very, 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 very different. Like I'm so happy with my drumming now. And as opposed to like the seven, I was just so uncomfortable and just not used to like being in a band like this or an environment where like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really good in like recording environments, but like, I, don't know, I just felt like a lot more confident in this record, which is really awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Well, plus, you know, when you go out there and you play so many shows, you start to become kind of this well-oiled machine where you're like, Oh yeah. Like I know right. I'm comfortable behind my instrument more than I was, you know, whatever, 10 months ago. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, putting the focus more on, on you as a person. So were you, uh, were you born and raised in Philly? No, I was I was born in Lehigh Valley, which is uh, um, an hour north of Philly. Um, I spent like my almost my entire childhood there. I moved to Rhode Island for a little bit, and I um, then I moved back, and then I started going to hardcore shows at like like eighth eighth grade or something. And then sorry, someone's talking, and that kind of, that's a bunch of old people talking. No problem. And so. Um, I was just always going to Philly hardcore shows like all the time. And then eventually like, I met a bunch of people. We started the band and I eventually just moved down there. And I've only lived down there for like four years. So I've always been involved with Philly stuff, but you know, I, I, I come from Allentown. That's where I was born. Got it. Yeah. Which, which is funny because right. most, right. most people that, um, you know, would look at Pennsylvania as a state, like it's such a weird state because you have, you know, Philly, obviously on the East coast. And then you have, you know, Allentown and a lot of those, you know, whatever Pittsburgh and like the, the working class cities, like they're so different from one another, but most people are just like, Oh yeah, Pennsylvania. Well, it's funny because like we, we like talk about like Pennsylvania, but like literally all it is is like Allentown, Philly, 
and like a bunch of racist people in the middle. I'm not going to say all everyone's racist, but there's a lot of weird stuff happening in the middle of PA and then Pittsburgh. You know what I'm saying? Totally. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's funny that like we, we like rep PA so hard, but it's actually like, it's funny cause like PA is actually like a really like, I think PA is the highest number in KKK members or something like that. That was, that was last recorded. Don't quote me on that, but um, that's, right. that's something that I've heard. And it's, it's just funny that we just rep PA so hard, but like, I don't know. I rep, I like Philly a lot and Allentown's amazing. Bethlehem's amazing. Like, the whole Lehigh Valley is really slept on. Like where I come from, we had this place called the secret art space and we had so many crazy shows there. Like, and it's so low key. Like nobody really knew, knew about it, but like we had a whole, um, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with like Lehigh Valley Pair of Creations, like vegan, vegan treats or Square of Opposition Records. Yep. Um, that's all from Lehigh Valley. You know what I'm saying? And we had a lot of people like, you know, repping really hard there and like doing like, um, an insane amount of shows. I think they're still doing a bunch of shows. So, you know, if anybody listening to this who's listening to Lehigh Valley, you got to check it out. Yeah, it's cool. Well, yeah, there definitely are communities that kind of spring up around, you know, even if it's just like one or two bands, but when you put like-minded visuals into a, you know, community together, they start to, you know, make moves and start to create their own uh, path and scene. And so, yeah, that's totally what happened right. with Lehigh right. Valley. And like, I mean, even people, you know, can, yeah. can point to, you know, Syracuse in the nineties. It's like, you know, there's no logic behind why the fact that, you know, Syracuse would be like a hotbed of hardcore <laughs> if you did, if you had no context for it, but you're like, Oh yeah, earth crisis came right. out there. So of course, like that's, that's how it happened. But even so, like not even just talking about now, Lehigh Valley had like a whole thing going on in like the eighties. Even my dad told me that he saw both old surfers, Murphy's law, youth of today, all of them at this place called Oliver J's in Allentown. And like, that was like, I don't know, early nineties, late eighties or something like that. So like, that was like that's been going on since that since that long you know like yeah and also like it was like a big Doylestown scene which is not a suburb of Philly and I wouldn't call I wouldn't, definitely wouldn't call Allentown a suburb by any means it's like a it's definitely a city it's just like very like small and poor kind of and it's like you know it's a little crime ridden but it's like you know, it's really cool. But yeah. Bethlehem and East End, East End and stuff, it's like all really nice up there. Yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. And so what was your, uh, what was your family structure like? You know, mom and dad in the house, do you have brothers and sisters? Um, I have two adopted brothers that were my cousins, but you know, I don't ever like to say that they're adopted, but you know, I'm, I'm proud that they, you know, my family got, got them out of, uh, they were living in like an, an Amish with an Amish family and we didn't want them around like, um, just the different cultures and what they, they had been used to. Um, uh-huh. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican and, um, we just wanted them to be in an environment where they could feel comfortable around like family. So my mom took them in, even though like my mom, uh, I come from like a, you know, lower middle-class family, very like pretty, not wouldn't say whether we were like super poor. My, my mom always worked very, very hard for us to eat and <clears throat> took care of us. And I always had clothes and, you know, they always, we moved a lot, but we always figured it out and, and the fact that she took them in was like really, really awesome. And, uh, I have one baby brother who was just born, I think in 2006, I forget. Um, I have one older brother. We have different dads and, um, yeah, my, my mom and dad have always been together. They got married pretty late because of like a lot of financial stuff and they just never got to it. And mm-hmm. I don't know, they're still together. It's really awesome actually. And like, they're, they're really chill my parents are like really nice when it comes to like my life and they've always been super supportive and, and in a way where they've always accepted me for who I was. They, they never really come to my shows or anything like that. They, you know, they're, you know, they're working and stuff, but 
my dad's like a DJ and he got me into hardcore. He got me into skateboarding. And, That's cool. And he got me into hardcore. He showed me what straight edge was. He put, he put X's on my hand and I was like 12. And he was like, he was like, don't ever like, don't ever be like me. You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, I was like, cool. And I, and I won't. And I never was. <laughs> I, I, I can safely say like, so I've, I've been doing this for, I don't know, close to six years or so. And I've talked to a lot of people and including people who come from the scene that you and I do or, you know, straight edge ourselves. But I have literally never heard of a father exiting up their own son or daughter. That's really, dude, that's wild. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, he put it on. He actually, well, I think he might've been drunk when he said this. I'm like, no shade of my dad. Like, I love Yeah. Yeah. But like he put X's on the palms of my hands right before I was going to go to boys and girls club. Cause it was like, he, he really thought that if I left the house, I was going to like get into like, cause Al, like I said, Allentown's not that good, but you know, a city. Yeah. So he thought I was going to get involved with the wrong people, fall into like that path. But like, I've seen my dad act up enough to know the way it was. And I just had no desire at all. Well, you know, and at that time I was only like 12, yeah. like as I grew older, but anyway, I get off topic a lot. No, he put X's on the palms of my hands. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? Yeah. And he was like, it's straight edge. Like you gotta live by this forever. And I was like, all right. And like, I mean, as I got older, like I, in high school, I used to get made fun of for being straight edge. I used to actually stop going to school, which was like pretty funny. And a lot of kids would be like, you know, you straight edge, like pussy, like stuff like that. So like yeah. saying like crazy stuff. Like, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And I've, I just always have been in my, my, I never had really any straight edge friends. And so like recently, like all my friends used to always drink and stuff and get a party. But like, I, I, them doing it was enough for me to like get the entertainment of like, you know what I mean? Like I just never was about it. Yeah. So, um, and then recently I did, you know, a lot more friends. It's become like a more accepting and like prominent thing where people are, you know, repping straight edge really hard and it's really awesome. And I feel more proud to be straight edge than ever. Yeah, no, that's, that's very, very cool. Yeah. I, <laughs> what, what you said about Xing up to school, I definitely did that myself as well. And like, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 but I always attribute that to like what I like to call kid logic where it's like in your head, you're like, right. yeah, like this and you, you'll, sense. right. And you'll get a kick out of this. Like I, you know, of course, when you're going to a show, you X up with both hands, but at school, I, right, right, I, right. I, I only X'd up one hand because that was like a casual, <laughs> that was like casual straight edge. You know, it's like, okay, I don't want to get in anybody's face right. about this, but it's like, dude, you showed up to school with X's on your hand. Like, calm down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Loki, like there was like some punk kids in my school because I grew up and I was really into like punk. Like, I was like super into like the casualties, the exploited, like circles or stuff like that. But I've always like said I was straight edge and like, and then I remember like I saw some like punk kids in my school and I was like, well, maybe they know what the hardcore is. Like, so I like put an X on my hand. And just to see, like, I threw a flag out there to see if anybody, like, knew, like, if they, what it was. And, like, I just remember, like, the one kid knew what it was. He's my friend Tyler. We're good friends now. But he saw the X-Men and he just, like, made fun of me for it. And I was just, like, so embarrassed. <laughs> and it was just, like, so funny, like, looking back on it now. Because he's, like, he, he's, like, a really cool dude. But it was just funny at the time because we were both immature in our own sense. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it makes, <laughs> it makes sense that you kind of got into, you know, the punk in that area too, just because it was like, you know, that, I mean, casualties were obviously from that area and like, that was such a, you know, a, a huge sort of like street punk scene in the Northeast. So it makes sense that that was an entry right, point. Right, right. Um, and so, so as you were, you know, kind of growing up and like, so describe to me, like, so you said your parents got married later, like, did they get married like after you were born or you they were married before? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like way later. I, I was like, 
I think I was like 18 when they got married or something like that. I didn't even go to the wedding. Like I was, my parents and I had like a little bit of falling out when I was like young. And you know, I was, I started working right when I was 16 and worked really hard. And I moved out into like this, like kind of punk house in like Allentown somewhere. Cause we were going through some stuff and, you know, they got married and I had a lot of like weird resentment towards them. So I just didn't talk to them, but you know, I don't, I don't regret it. Like I'm, I'm, we're fine now. And like, you know, I, I really just, sucked up my pride and just like i don't know yeah just got over it you know like you can't like go on your life like hating you know your parents you got to respect your mom you got to respect you know the life they gave you in general so you know i i think we talked about it a little bit and everything's cool now but yeah they got married like got it got it yeah i mean they didn't even have like a wedding they had like a courthouse thing like i said like we couldn't really i don't even think they could afford like a wedding or something like that Sure. Well, and plus, I mean, they had, they, like, they had created a family already and a family structure. So it's like, I'm, right, sure, right. I'm, I'm sure the wedding was just like, yeah, we could just do something simple in the backyard. <laughs> exactly. It was just like something small. and like, I don't really think anyone went. They just wanted to do it just to like, to, to do it. Cause they were like, well, I don't know why we aren't married. They actually like didn't even get rings. Like, they just like tattooed each other's name on like their ring finger. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. as funny as that is, like, because yeah. <laughs> my, my mom texted me and was like, "Who's that person that like tattoos you sometimes?" I was like, "Oh, it's like Devin from Keystone," and um, she's like, "Okay, we're, we're gonna go there and we're, we're gonna get our names tattooed on each, on each other's hands for like the ring." And I was like, "Okay, like that's so weird." And this, yeah, but I, I don't know. That's what they wanted to do. So whatever makes them happy, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, as you started to you know grow up, and like you said, your parents were supportive and they understood. Like you know, I mean, clearly your 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 dad was understanding of the you know punk and hardcore stuff. Um, you know, what kind of yeah. what kind of kid did you find yourself being as you started to you know go to you know junior high and start to interact with the world? Like you said, you know, some people were making fun of you because you know you were straight edge and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, but were you an outgoing kid? Were you quiet? Oh uh, well, no. I, actually, I was like. It depends, like, even, like, today, like, if I meet, like, strangers or something, like, I'm usually pretty quiet and, like, reserved, but otherwise, like, if I'm, like, homies with you, like, I'm mad outgoing. Like, I'm, like, always the person in the room who's, like, always yelling, trying to get the energy up, like, let's go, let's get pumped, and obviously, I go through, like, I have, like, a pretty, like, I think I have, like, bipolar disorder, my dad does, but, like, I always just, like, flip switches, like, with my emotions a lot, and, like, that can be kind of annoying for everyone else, but, you know, and I get self-conscious about, like, making everyone else feel bad. But, like, coming up in junior high and, like, and, like, I don't know, high school, like, my my parents and family always knew me as the, the different kid. They were like, oh, yeah, he's different. He's unique. That's more. A lot in Puerto Rican culture or, like, you know, um, you know, black culture or anything like that, it, it, it tends to be like kind of homophobic, like a lot. So, um, for me to do that was kind of like a big deal. My mom and dad, my dad like hated it. My dad also was just like, you know, that's just the way he is. And he just, he just accepted me. My mom just always knew me as like a unique person. And they always involved me in sports. I love, I love playing sports. I mean, organized sports is like one thing, but I, I've always liked going outside, like hanging out with friends, like, I've never been that kid who like had a lack of friends. I've always like found something to do. And like kind of like accepted everyone. Like I didn't, I didn't want to hang out with like, <clears throat> like kids who cared about like Jordans and stuff like that. Or like who wanted to fight all the time. But like, I definitely liked like playing basketball and like football and like 
just meeting new people. But most of the time, I was just like skating and stuff with all my friends. We would yeah. hang out at the spot like CVS, like in Allentown. And we would just skate nonstop, like every day, like like crazy. Sure, sure. <laughs> and so, yeah. So it, it sounds like you. I mean, like most kids, you were kind of experimenting with a bunch of things and seeing what you were uh, ultimately interested in. And like, did you, um, as you were going through school, did you care about school? Did you, um, you know, I, I guess apply yourself, or was it one of those things that school was kind of a, a necessary evil you needed to go through? Uh, I went. To, I actually went to Catholic school for like a couple, from like fourth to f- for like seventh grade, and like I said, I moved a lot. So I, let's let's. I'll put this in perspective. I went to kindergarten and Glow Park School in uh, Rhode Island, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. First grade went there also. Second grade I moved, or no, maybe I went there as well. Anyway, I know for a fact. Third grade I went to Jefferson in Allentown. Moved back to Allentown. Then fourth grade I went to uh, Sacred Heart, which is a private school. From fourth to seventh, there was a lot of stuff in my life going on, like my parents and everything. And I'm not gonna blame it on them, but uh, I was getting a lot of trouble there. I was like fighting and like doing all this crazy stuff. And like I was also like I think private school like inherently for some reason like every time I hang out with like a private school kid, they're always way more sketchy than like public school kids. I don't know why, but like, that's just always been the case. Maybe it's because like a lot of their life they've been reserved. So they like are trying to like get that, like a little thing of freedom or something, you know? And so they just go buck wild. But like, I don't know. That's just the way, that's the way I thought. And then I went to, uh, then I was supposed to fail seventh grade, but the public school system was like a D in private school. I would have failed, but in public school, I would have passed. So my, I switched to public school and my dad was like, Oh, you want to like do bad in school and you want to act up? Okay, we'll go to public school. Out on top of public school, we're all like, he 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 said exactly this. He was like, the wolves are out there. They're gonna they're gonna show you how to act up or something like that. He, he's just trying to scare me, and I was like, okay, like whatever. So I was like a big troublemaker in like seventh. Not I wasn't a huge troublemaker, but I was just like, just like kind of fucking around, just like doing whatever. Like I just didn't care. You know what I mean? Sure. So, um, when I got to eighth grade, it was like actually like legit kind of scary for me because I've never like been to like a public school in Allentown. It was like really nerve wracking and my parents made it seem so bad, but like, I don't know at that point. I mean, I still didn't care about school, but like I didn't do anything to get in trouble. So like (laughs) in high school, I never got picked on or anything like that. I was actually heavily involved in like marching band in high school and like theater academy i like had a lot of friends in theater academy i really liked for some reason like improv and like i was in two musicals one of them was the chorus line and one was uh joseph and the technicolor amazing pin coat and i had two like a lead role in both of those so that was like really different for me i left my comfort zone a lot like doing that but it was like i thought it was really good for me you know sure it's, sure like, nice to like just try things out and i really like being in course I, I mean i like just like extracurriculars like just like hanging out and that's how i made friends and i don't know but like my, the school the high school i went to you can look it up like it's like really sketchy it's, it's called william allen high it's known to be like the most like overpopulated and like crime ridden school in allentown <laughs> and i actually in pennsylvania i think it's like one of the worst of the day. but like i don't know i didn't see it as that way i just didn't really get involved a lot of crazy shit was like happening in my school but for some reason it always like went around me i got bullied like one time because i was selling candy bars for my on marching band some kid comes up to me he's like yo let me get one i'm like 
nah and he just took it and he was like what are you gonna do now and i was like nothing i'm not gonna do anything and i just like walked away he was like young boy he just like just like he was like a football player and he just like he just like sounded me so i was like it's fine sure just a candy bar <laughs> yeah 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 well but yeah like, so <laughs> yeah it's not, i mean it sounds like a lot of your experiences were definitely uh, from the fact that you know you you liked to have like inject yourself into different uh scenarios that had a community you know so it's like yeah when you were in a play obviously there's a community there like it wasn't the community right you know at large where people are sort of typically drawn to like the football team or whatever so you were you're always looking for those people to join where you're like oh yeah i can i can get with this yeah like it was like cool like i just i i couldn't you know i'm not physically fit to be a football player i would have gotten trash and i and like i remember actually for two weeks i tried playing lacrosse but i just like couldn't get behind it it was just too and i hate this word i hate when people use the word like oh it's too macho like, but i literally wasn't macho enough to play like and i you know i tried to be like yo let's go like but i just straight up like just couldn't get into it i liked the idea of playing sports but like when it came to like high school organized sports everyone was like yeah like i'm gonna be like a cross planer like you know this these sports like fucking matter so much it's like it really doesn't matter to me. I just literally just want to have fun and like play. So that's how it was. I should have done track because that seems like really sick. And I like, I like running sometimes. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have done something like that for sports, but I, you know, I don't know. I really liked theater. It was really cool. And I had a lot of friends there. It wasn't like, I was like, Oh, I definitely want to be like an actor, but it was just something like, this is going to make school easier. And I'm having kind of fun doing it, you know? And marching band was like, that was the shit. Like I loved like, playing in marching band. I was in drum line. I was like the snare drum. Sure. And it was so sick. I loved it. Was that your, was that your first kind of introduction to drums or how do you, pri- how do you play drums prior to that? Well, I played drums prior to that. Like my parents saw me, like I used to play, um, I used to listen to system of a down. That's what really, really got me to like want to play an instrument. But I used to listen to system of a down all the time. And I like memorized their drums, like the way it would be played on air drums. Like I would just like, pretending I was playing and my mom was like okay I'll get you sticks you can hit boxes she used to let me hit cardboard boxes and so like I used to, she was like wow you actually like sound like you kind of know what you're doing so like one year like she randomly got me like a $200 like straight up pawn shop drum kit and like I straight up couldn't believe it I was like so pumped and um the first song I ever learned was like Chop Suey you know what I mean by just moving down and I was sure. so pumped that, and then I then they sold my drum kit or something like that because I couldn't like we were moving a lot blah 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 and then years later like 11th grade or something like they got me another one and that's when I started my first band it was called Slump and uh got it I, and it was, it was me and my friend Zach and then we got like our friend Eric in and then our friend Big our friend Zach Klingelman and, and it ended and Whole bunch of stuff but yeah that was that was my first introduction to drums was like a, a little uh drum kit got it got it <laughs> and so and did you ever have a did you ever have a notion of trying uh other instruments where you're like oh let's mess with guitar a little bit or was it always like no nah, drums yeah okay i tried guitar and i remember like my mom got me a first act and i was like trying to strum with like a penny because <laughs> i didn't have any picks i had no idea what i was doing like it was just like it just seemed like dumb to me. I was just like, oh, I hate that I have to like learn chord. It, it was like, it takes this much work. And like, I don't know. Like, I just like, it wasn't the fact that like, I don't think 
I just wanted something like immediate sense gratification. So I immediately wanted to be good at guitar and like, that was too much for me. And as soon as I picked up drums, I immediately was like, wow, I can actually like play a beat. Like, this is awesome. So like naturally, like that's what I went towards, you know? Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense. I was because, like a young kid. Sure. Well, yeah. Uh, most, most people, I think when they pick something up, they want to be slightly proficient at it. They're not like, Oh yeah. Right. I, I can't wait to put in, you know, hours and years of work to get, to get okay at something, you know? <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and, and now looking back at it, I'm like, damn, well now I'm looking back and I'm teaching myself guitar and I understand it takes work. But like then like my parents didn't care enough to tell me like, Hey, you're going to need to work real hard on this to get good. Like they were just like, here's this guitar, you know, you know, cause they didn't know, yeah. you know like, whatever, like, you know, just play. They didn't, I don't think they knew they thought I was going to stuck to any, like stick to anything just like the drums. And then I actually like really stuck to the drums and they were like, Oh damn. But the thing was, I lived in the city and I, I didn't have like a garage or anything to practice in. So I could only practice like once in a while. And like, I think they just had enough and like, that was really it. Listen, you've probably always wanted to learn how to play a instrument. Like I've played in bands for years, but you know, I only knew guitar a little bit, drum a little bit. Musician is the place to go when you are at that juncture in your life where you're like, I want to dive in, and but I don't know where to begin. So Musician is your personal music tutor for this digital age. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master a musical instrument because it listens to you play and gives you instant feedback on your accuracy and timing. Plus, it's free to download from your app store. When you use your real instrument, this app includes lessons for guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and vocals. So whether you're a complete beginner or an experienced player, you can follow expert design courses that guide you with exercises and feature popular hit songs. So you can be like, hey, I know how to play that now. This app takes you through step-by-step tutorials that suit your playing level. It is fun and addictive. It's kind of like playing a game and it tracks your progress and keeps you motivated so you actually learn. Musician has over 10 million users, and they believe that everybody can and should have the experience of learning a musical instrument. Like I said, I've always dabbled with musical instruments, but I've never committed to it. Musician has pushed me over the edge, me and my son hanging out, playing guitar. I'm learning chords, learning notes, learning how to do the damn thing. And it is so much fun. So become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today, okay? Do that right now. Download it, put it on your phone, start playing around with it. It's incredible, okay? Musician, thank you very much. Now, on with the show. You, you kind of mentioned this earlier on, and I, I know from uh, just kind of other pieces of, uh, you know, interviews that you've done in the past where, you know, religion and Catholicism was like a, you know, a huge part. And like you mentioned, you went to a you know, private high or a private elementary school, um, that was centered around that. And, you know, I presume your relationship with Catholicism was one of those things where it's like, Oh yes, I'll go to church and my parents are doing it. So I'll do this. Um, and when did you, when did you feel like you, um, basically started to explore, uh, other options where you're like, Oh yeah, Catholicism, maybe this isn't for me. I need to, uh, I need to see what else is out there. Well, actually like I didn't, I, I went to private school, middle school from fourth fourth to seventh, same difference, but, my parents, like, they got me, like, they wanted me to be an altar boy, get my sacraments done. Like, I was, like, baptized, first communion, that whole shebang. And, like, like I literally did not care. Like, I, I, I don't think I ever really thought, like, Jesus or anything, like, was important to me. It was more fear-based where I was, like, oh, like, if I curse, like, Jesus, like, I'm literally going to get hit by a car or something tomorrow. Like, it's going to be crazy. I'm going to get smited and, like. You know, I was an altar server, and like it was just, I was just kind of like going through the motions. But I think 
that's how it is in anything you force your kids to do. I think that's just the way it is. Unless like they go out of their way to like do it themselves and you can see like a general interest. Like I was just forced. If I didn't go to church, I would get grounded. And like, but it's funny because like my parents, they hardly even went to church. Like we went to church like, a, like once in a while, like they would go like every once in a while, but like most Sundays they would just send us and we would just have to go. Which looking back on it, that's like kind of messed up. But like, that's just the way it was. And they, I don't know. I think they wanted to like, I think they, they had good intentions. They wanted us to have like a good foundation and like be good people. But like, I just don't think that like it went the right way. And Catholicism to me doesn't really stand out. You know, and I don't want to talk bad about anything, but like, it's just not, you know, wasn't for I you. think a lot of people just don't really vibe with it. You know, it just isn't, isn't for me. And I think the, the whole basis around the fear and all that stuff and the imagery is just, you know, it just doesn't appeal to me. You know, it may be for someone, but it's not for me, you know? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Um, and so, like you said, you started, you know, playing in bands when you were, you know, middle school and heavily influenced by, like you said, you know, System of a Down and bands like that. Um, Right. You know, as you uh, as you first started to kind of like play shows and start to experience more of a you know local scene and all that sort of stuff, were you immediately drawn into it, or was it one of those things you kind of had to you know <laughs> learn how to be uh, you know a kid at shows and stuff like that? Uh, I think I was like pretty much immediately drawn to it. Like as soon as I went, to, I went to my first show because uh, this person named Ray Gers, he runs this company called Russell and he was in this band called bad American. I used to, I used to see him at this place called Penn skate, like a bunch. And he, he knew like my dad, like, well, he didn't really know my dad. My dad was like an old school skater and like people knew him. So like he would see me around for, like skate events, stuff like that. He, he knew I was like in the punk and he was like, okay, I'm going to show you this place. We're playing here on whatever day they played. And he was like, you know, just come out and just tell me what you think. And I remember going, and I was just like, Oh my God, like this is the coolest thing I ever did. And then as soon as I went, I just like never stopped going. I was just going to basement shows like nonstop. And I would be like, and eventually I got comfortable enough with like just hitting really hard. And I got was always known as the kid who like did that. But like, I think that like people thought I was annoying. But then again, I always, I always like to be involved with like helping with the door, helping set up, things like that. Like those were always things that were a really big interest to me because like, I don't know. I've always just like, like you said earlier, which is a funny day. Like it's a crazy realization, but like, I've always like being involved in the communities, you know? And so like, I always wanted to be heavily involved with like helping. I didn't want to come off. Like my dad taught me, if he taught me one thing, he was like, don't be a mooch. So like, don't go to people's like events and like, you don't offer to help and like anything. Don't, you know what I mean? So like, I always wanted to like, just kind of like give help where I could, you know, you want to, you want to contribute. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, I think that's, like, important. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I think it's that's the whole reason that I think people like you and I are drawn to, you know, uh, like playing in bands and being active and, and doing all that stuff. Like, not only is it is it fun, but it's the notion that whatever you're contributing and doing is hopefully going to, you know, uh, influence people who are, you know, even just a couple of years younger and who, you know, cause like if you're nice to a kid at a show that they're 14 years old, all of a sudden they're like, Oh man, like this place is cool and it's fun. I'm going to go to shows more yeah, often. And yeah. like, you never know how that stuff's going right. to impact people. Right. And you know, and I wasn't always like a perfect person. Like I've definitely like fall at a show before and stuff like that, but you know, I feel like that's normal, but I, I always like low key knew that I was like, if I don't help in any way, you know, then this will probably end. And like that, that was pretty scary for me, especially cause I didn't have a band yet. And like, I was like, damn, like I gotta be able to play these shows. And then when I started like playing them, I was like, damn, like I want to keep these shows going. Like, this is sick. Like, I don't know. I just, it was, I wanted to just keep like punk and hardcore, like 
keep going so much. Like, but like, then again, I was nothing I could really do. Like I was so like, I was like 16 and like, I, I, I don't know. It's kind of like excuses, but like, you know, I wish I knew, like, I wish I had like the, the, I wish I had the, uh, the push or the drive to want to like book stuff. I just didn't know anyone. I don't know. I just didn't, I came from like out of nowhere and then I just started like a band yeah. Hung out. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. Well, yeah, you can, you can always look at like what you quote unquote didn't do, but, um, you know, that, that's, right. that's in the past and that's nothing you can change. And, um, yeah. Like, right. There's nothing, you know, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, and so, you know, as you, uh, like you said, as you know, this Jesus piece LP being like your first record and stuff like that. And like, as you know, Jesus piece like started, um, were you, uh, you know, like, had you, had you toured up into that point and what was your relationship with like tour and traveling and stuff like that? I, I didn't hit like, I didn't travel out of like Pennsylvania until like, I was like 17 or something like that. I mean, I lived in Rhode Island and, um, every so often I used to go with my, uh, my friend from high school. We used to go to um, Massachusetts and visit her mom. But otherwise, like I, like I was in this band, like it was like this, like, we wanted to be so many different things. I wanted to be like DSBM. They wanted to be like late light bear. This other person wanted to be like immortal. Like we were just like all over the place. The other person wanted to be like tragedy. And, um, it was called Kata Hajime, which I don't recommend it. I mean, if you want to listen to it, you can, you, you'll, you'll hear like how crazy, like terrible I was at drums and everything, which is, it's funny to look back on. But, um, we did like a three day tour or four day tour or something like that. And it was like, we went to like West Virginia, Pittsburgh, and like somewhere random, but I haven't like done any extensive tours like beside that. That was like really it. And I toured in like this like truck, and it was just like it was fun. I, I you know I'm not gonna be like oh it, was, it wasn't fun, but it was a I had a lot of fun. It was like my first tour experience, and I just I was happy to just be out there playing for other people, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so then as you started to you know get out there with Jesus Peace and start to you know play more shows and start to notice that people were caring and stuff like that. Um, you know, how did that, uh, how did that personally kind of like feel for you as you started to notice that people were paying attention to what you were doing? Well, I mean, as soon as you dropped the EP, like it was crazy. Like I, I've never witnessed, I didn't have Twitter until like Jesus Peace really started. And so we dropped the EP and I think we had like, like 3000 retweets or something like the first day of putting it out or something crazy like that. I just was like, what the fuck? I, I just I was like, what is going on? I was with my I was with Dave, he was guitar at his mom's house in his uh, new PA. We dropped in, everyone was just going crazy. Like I was like, what? Like I I just couldn't believe it. So then we were like, all right, like fuck okay, it, we'll just like make shirts. And so we made shirts the weekend of this is hardcore. Like and they sold. We made like fifty shirts, and they sold out in like ten minutes. I I just couldn't believe it. And after that, we just always had this rap of like. Oh my God, grab their stuff. It's going to sell out. Or like, Oh, they're like a hype band and all this crazy stuff. But like, I, you know, the fact that anyone even listened, we're like so into it. And like our first shows were like all amazing. Like I was like, damn, like this is like so sick. But all that comes from is a sense of, a sense of commodity. You know what I'm saying? Like if it wasn't, if it's not, you'll see like a lot of bands, a lot of people will be like, Oh my God, they're such a good band. But most of the time it's because their friends are going crazy for them. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's really where it comes from. Cause like people in hardcore, they're not really looking, no one cared how good we sounded. Like no one cares how good David the guitar, no one cares about how good I am at drums. People will acknowledge that and like, like it. But most people who come to hardcore are looking for the energy or like the whole, like 
the environment. So like we gave our friends really put, put forth that effort to give everyone that like experience where it was like an insane environment. And we got known as that. <clears throat> and uh, it just went viral, I guess. And it was like really cool. <clears throat> and I, you know, I think that our music was like subpar. It was like good, but like whatever, like, but it was more of like, you know, it's, it was more of just like our friends putting on really hard for us and us just like really believing in ourselves and just playing hard as hell every time. So, um, sure. I don't know. That's just, it just worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really cool. I mean, I do like how you mentioned that fact of, you know, having your friends support you and, uh, cause yeah, it's like most, when you go into a show and you see like a, you know, local band and then you start to see, you know, whatever, 20 or 30 kids care about them. You're like, not only is it cool because they're local, but then you start to see where it's like, Oh yeah, other people are into this. Like, I think I want to join in and you know, you just, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. I mean, it happens, it happens for so many bands like that. Right. Like if you watch, if you watch veins or even ours, for instance, is hardcore. Like, and I, I love Bane. Like, they're, they're like some of our good friends. You'll notice that, like, if you know them, you'll know that everyone in the pit is their homie, and they're just going so hard. And that's what made that look just so cool because it was like everyone's just going so crazy, and no one even knows that it's like all their homies like going crazy. And I just think that it's sick that even like you could even get your homies in the first place to just go that hard the whole set. I thought that was just like so impressive, and like you know, you it, hardcore like. I think modern day hardcore is like, it's not even about necessarily the music anymore. I mean, it definitely is it, 120% is, but what I mean by that is like, you gotta bring something else to the table. You gotta have that energy. You gotta have that message. You gotta have something because like, you know, otherwise we're just recycling a lot of people's stuff. You know, you know what I mean? Hardcore has been done. I mean, there's a lot of new and innovative things that are coming out. <laughs> like I, I personally don't think, you know, like everyone is like super like, you know, copying everything, but you know, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of this just recycled stuff, but like done in a, in a different way or perceived in a different way. Shut up. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> no, it's okay. And, um, so that that's what makes it different and more exciting is that like, you know, this person's doing, or like, this is the reaction they get, or this is the kind of, this is, you know, this is the way they're presenting their record or like, I don't know, like, or they're just, they're, they're mixing it with this genre. It's just cool. You know what I mean? It, it's cool. And I definitely love, I, I like all the recycled, like, like eight, like eighties hardcore. Everyone that sounds like, I don't know, floor punch or like use it today to me or like SSD, like all that stuff is cool to me. I don't get bored of it personally. I know some people are like, this is the same shit as like negative approach. I'm like, yeah, but I like negative approach. And it's cool that a band nowadays is still doing it. And like, you know, it's nothing innovative. And I think as long as you can like realize and represent and kind of acknowledge like where your pioneers and like, all, all your influences coming from. And I think that's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, be, because too, it's like, you have to look at it uh, from a cyclical perspective where it's like, you know, you, uh, hardcore morphs and changes every, you know, four to five years. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of like high school where it's like, if you're a freshman, this, right, the right. seniors are the cool kids. And so, you know, what, uh, you know, whatever, I'm 37 years old. And it's like, when I started to go to shows, like I couldn't, I, I couldn't see gorilla biscuits or chain of strength or any of those bands but the bands right. the bands that sounded like them that you know like you said mentioned the fact that they are influenced and are you know paying homage to those bands i could see them at shows right. and i could get stoked on that and all right. it, yeah that's the only way that you can kind of you know push things forward rather than just like be stuck in a certain era and that's it right like you can't like make a, an album that sounds just like ssd and be like we are innovative because no you're not but like 
it's still cool that you're doing it and you're recognizing and you're just, it's cool that people are making bands for the scene. And I don't know. I, I just really respect anyone who's trying to make music at all. Cause like a lot of people who are critiquing other bands have never actually been or in a band or made music or booked a show or done anything for the scene. So it's like, of course you have shit to say because you have never experienced it. You don't know, realize how hard it is to actually go out there and tour, to actually lose money on a show, to actually book a show in general and like, or do anything, make a zine. So I don't know, even if it's not innovative, I think I respect it. It's cool. And, um, yeah, you know, I have my taste, but I have my taste obviously, but like, you know, I, I give kudos to anybody, you know, working hard, trying to do what they got to do. Yeah, absolutely. And actually that, that kind of, uh, segues into, uh, you know, a, a question I was going to have in regards to that sort of idea where it's like, you know, you have bands like, you know, Code Orange and, and Turnstile and, you know, you guys definitely fall within that where it's like, you know, younger, you know, more modern bands that are starting to have an impact beyond just, you know, our hardcore scene or even in the broader sense right. of the term, like the metal scene. Um, Right. You know, but it, it strikes me as these bands uh, are always, uh, you know, no shots at them, but like, it's always that delicate balance of trying to maintain the people who, you know, had been introduced to these bands when they first started, but then also expanding and making sure that, you know, newer people are coming to the show who might not be into the punk and hardcore scene and stuff like that. And I'm sure that you guys kind of go into that same notion where it's like, okay, well, you know, we are a punk and hardcore band, uh, but you know, we want to play in front of, you know, different audiences and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. is, are these conversations that you guys are having kind of internally in regards to, um, you know, whatever opportunities for tours and, you know, stuff that like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't do this tour because it's, you know, too, uh, you know, too weird for us to do or whatever. Um, how does that kind of impact you? Well, at first I think, well, first of all, let me clear this up a lot of shit. We, we got a lot of shit. When we first dropped our, our EP, like so many people talk shit and you know, it was hard for us to like, it was hard for us to, um, to kind of like, you know, swallow. It was just like, damn, like no one in the scene is like, you know, a lot of people were backing it obviously. But then again, it was like a lot of people were like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. They were calling us like deathcore kids, whatever the hell that means. And I've never listened to deathcore personally, but like, you know, who gives a damn? So at first we were like really weird about like the whole, you know, should we expand, blah, blah, blah. But like, and I think it hasn't, it hasn't been until recently that like we have, we really just like, I like openly said, like nothing matters. Like, because to me, like hardcore is not really about like how you sound. I mean, it, it is in the sense, but like, you know, bands like Code Orange, like I just saw them at this fest called Made in America, which is like a, like it's ran by Jay-Z and Beyonce. And like, like, I think that's sick. And like the, the fact is that if you look at older tours, they're still taking hardcore bands out. You know what I mean? They're still putting new bands out there and it's cool that they're expanding and like going and like playing all this different stuff. Like they're trying with like Meshuga and all these like crazy bands, but like, you know, and then all the fans are gathering from there. Some of those people are going to listen to Code Orange and like check out other hardcore bands. And then like that, that's what makes the scene grow. Cause if you're playing to the same 50 people in your town, then where's the growth at all? Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it seems like, pretty obvious in a world where everyone is confined to their homes society begins its largest bin watch to date in the hallowed library of hulu or perhaps on a shelf of dvds you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions hi i'm zach braff and i'm donald Faison. in 2001 we starred in scrubs 
a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, for sure. You're preaching to the choir. And I, I think, I guess the, 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 the itch that I wanted to scratch to that question is the fact that a lot of the decisions that are, uh, you know, made from bands, like there, there's always this notion of kind of the, the punk rock guilt of like, okay, well, you know, yes, we want to, you know, be able to like make a living for ourselves, you know, being a hardcore band and touring and all that sort of stuff. But like the notion that like, okay, we can't get too big too quickly because of, you know, whatever we'll get burnt out or whatever. There's a million different things. Right. Um, but yeah, but there definitely, like you said, there is that, <laughs> you know the loud hardcore purist on the internet that's going to look at you know bands like you guys and just be like oh whatever like these dudes you know they they weren't born into a minor threat show so of course like they're posers or whatever you know <laughs> well a lot, of, a lot of times i've been going to shows for almost 10 years everyone in jesus pieces going to been going to hardcore shows almost 10 years now so like any internet person who wants to talk like shit on us can suck my ass in my opinion that's just how i feel but at this point in my life. But, uh, I think that, you know, what you're saying is like, you know, like, should we do this tour? Like, blah, blah, blah. And like now in this current time, no, I don't think we feel that way. I think that we would be willing to do like a lot of things because I think we really have just like, we, we, we really outdid ourselves in hardcore and we will never stop playing hardcore shows, but we are all as people are very, uh, diverse like we all like a lot of different music so that's just the way we are and that's the way we feel so like if people want to judge us because we want to tour with like a rock band or we want to tour with like a metal band that's just that's just their problem that's their own like personal issue with us that has nothing to do with us and right. I don't think any of us are per se trying to make like a living off Jesus Peace because I just don't think that our music is the one where you can do that in my opinion like I don't think that Jesus Peace will ever be played outside of like serious academic stream radio or like <clears throat> yeah you're not gonna be the next you're gonna not gonna be the next Metallica right right exactly we're just we all know that so like why would we sit here and like try to lie ourselves and be like we can get big off this that's just not how we felt that's never how we felt it was nice being able to just tour nonstop and like people care but like you know and, and I don't think we're gonna be the next big metal band either I think that we're always just gonna make music the way we like it at first, I will. I definitely admit that. At first, we were like self-conscious, like damn, like people aren't feeling us. Like, you know, what do we do? Like, blah blah blah. And it just really comes down to the fact that, like, it's your life, it's your music. Who gives a shit? You you know who you are. You don't have to prove it to anyone else. You know what I'm saying? So like, it was just like we just said fuck it and just are just doing whatever. Like, right. this album is just this album is important to me because it it shows myself like what i'm capable of but also like a good bridge into the diversity that we can bring yeah because i don't think that every every song on the album is like a beat down like like i just think that we're 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 way more than that in in my opinion i just think that we have way more to offer and you know and if people recognize it and want to take us out 
and we'll we'll go. But you know, sure. we're not gonna. We're just not gonna keep doing like the same hardcore thing over and over again. But th- then again, we're not in this to make like a million dollars. This is not the way it is. Yeah. No. No. I I, to- I totally see where you're coming from. Um, right. Last two things I want to hit on before I let you go was the um, you know you are uh, like you mentioned before we started recording you know you're you're in upstate New York with uh, you know uh, you're you're working with your guru and everything like that so you are you a practicing yeah. are you practicing Buddhist or how, what what sort of I guess strain of that are are we looking at. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a devotee, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, well, I'm trying to be a devotee, excuse me, and, and uh, Got it. the International Society of Krishna Consciousness. So it's it. like all, all the Krishna core. You know, you know Krishna core. Absolutely, of course. Yeah, I just want to make want to make yeah, sure want to make sure we're talking to the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm taking. I'm here with my Shiksha guru. His name is Haryasa Das. He's. Uh, he, t- he runs the Govindas in Philadelphia. Oh yeah, um, every every Chris, every Krishna core kid knows what that is. Classic, yeah. So, uh, any, any like hardcore person who comes, to this is hardcore, Philly hardcore at all. They know what Govindas is, so they you know represent Philly. But uh, yeah, he needed some help. It, uh, it was the thing called John Mastami. So it's uh, it's the appearance day of Lord Krishna. He's the speaker of the Bhagavad Gita, and um, and then today was our our, our Jagat Guru. He's the person who started the uh, the movement here in the West because it's it, it's an Eastern philosophy, obviously. So and he uh, he died in uh, nineteen seventy five or six or seventy seven. I forget one of those years. And today was his birthday. So you know we were just celebrating, and you know he's an older man, so I, I you know I help him out a lot. And um, yeah, it's just really nice to be here. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so how, uh, I guess, you know, I, I presume within the hardcore scene is kind of where you got exposed to the Krishna consciousness. And I, I'm going to presume bands like, you know, shelter played, uh, played, played a pivotal role in that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was actually really black metal is actually the first thing that got me into like more just like, uh, you know, what's, because uh, let, let me let me go back to like the whole Catholicism thing. Sure. What, I, Catholicism was not for me. I didn't I didn't enjoy that enjoy that. I didn't enjoy the, the pressure. I didn't enjoy the the philosophy. None of it made sense to me. A lot of it was fear based. A lot of people weren't. I think like in the Satanic Bible, it's like um, it's on Levee, which is like kind of funny. But he's like people go to church on Saturday and then are going back to like lusting after girls on Sunday or, and like drinking and eating meat and things like that. And I that always struck a chord with me when I read that quote. Cause I was like, that's very true. Like a lot of people aren't, you know, very true. And they're over here preaching and like, you know, it was very like money based and it was just very, very just strange to me personally. This is my experience. <clears throat> so, you know, i never once was like, God doesn't exist. God is fake. And like, it's okay if you do feel like that, but I always felt that it was ridiculous to say like this earth came from nothing and you know, we're just all here. You know, this is just the way it is. And I always felt to, to some degree, like, I, even when I was, like, 15, I would be like, yeah, I'm agnostic. Like, I don't know what I believe in, but, like, you know, there's something out there. You know what I mean? I always felt that way. And and so um, when I was really into black metal at, at, a, at a current period of my life. I mean, at a, a certain period of my life, excuse me. And um, I got so into, like, going, like, tr- like, nature and trees, and I was like, wow. Like, it was like that feeling of being in a really nice place. And I was like, this is what, like, spiritual life is like. This is what it is. So I started re- reading about, um, there's this band called Barbalist from Baltimore. And my friend Billy, he uh, he played guitar in that band. He he was like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. I teach, I teach Ashtanga yoga. So I was like, oh, okay. Uh, Ashtanga means eight limbs. It's the eight-fold yoga path. It's something that people practice. Uh, I, don't, I really don't know too much about it. But he was like... Um, Oh, you should read this book. It's called The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. So I was reading that. And I was like, oh my God. It was very scientific. And it was really like, it didn't 
it wasn't like dogma to, to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, where it was mm-hmm. just like, you have to believe this or this. It was just very like, it broke everything down. Every question I've ever had, I was like, not ever had, but like, you know, I was like, wow, like this is really nice. But it wasn't enough for me because it, it taught impersonalism. It taught voidism. <laughs> impersonalism essentially is like, I am my own God. I worship myself, which is like, I think that's also foolish because you can't be your own God because we can't even control our own senses in a sense. We're like every morning you have to get up to pee. You can't control that. If you're God, you're omnipotent. You should be able to control that. You know what I'm saying? So I, I seeked way further and I started reading books by Prabhupada, the Bhagavad Gita, science and self-realization. And I got so into that and I still am. And you know, and it, it really changed my life. And like, it made me, <laughs> it made me more like, I don't know, Overall, I would say I'm working to be a better person. A lot of people, when they see a spiritual person, they're like, and they see him do something like funky, they're like, "Whoa, yeah, aren't oh. you supposed to be like a spiritual guy?" It's like, no, I'm tr- attempting to be a spiritual guy, but you're over here just like chastising me when like I'm just trying to be better for myself. But obviously, we're all human. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, we're, we're all. That's we're, something we're all that flawed. I learned about myself. Yeah, that we're hundred percent all flawed. I mean, if you're born in the material world, you are immediately imperfect. All your senses are imperfect, so it's hard for anyone to say uh, some crazy, some crazy thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this is like something that means a lot to me. I, you know, I lived in temples. I went. To, I've been to India. I've been to Vrindavan. Um, you know, my, uh, my girlfriend's very supportive of it, and she, you know, she reads and chants with me. Um, my family's very supportive. I've been uh, vegetarian for a long time. I, I, I eat vegan now but uh i was vegetarian for a while longer and nice you know i don't, I, I could talk your ear off all day about it but you know no i, I, I definitely the, anyone listening to this i recommend you know reading any of Srila Prabhupada's books if you're interested i think everyone is naturally like sort of interested in like questions like who am i what is my purpose things like that so you know i always take i always tell people just you know don't be so close-minded i and, you know in hardcore it's easy to for people to be like Religion doesn't belong, but mm-hmm. I actually don't think Christian consciousness is a religion. And my, my, that's a whole other argument. <laughs> that, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> no, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, I, I think, especially within the context of punk and hardcore, I think most people that turn a skeptical eye towards religion or organized faith in any capacity comes from the standpoint of like you should be, rebe- or, yeah, or you should be rebelling against authority. You should be rebelling against right. these things, these structures, and, and then, but yeah, it's funny. It's the thing that's funny about that is that's exactly what devotee life is like. It's it's, like, it's exactly what rebelling against rebelling against everything you ever knew, everything that you ever knew about what you do, your culture, the way you eat, the way you the way you get up in the morning. That Christian consciousness is rebelling against all of that, and that's what punk is. Punk is literally like I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. This, I'm so sick of America. Blah blah blah. That's what Christian consciousness is. If you're sick of it, then look at the Christian consciousness because it's 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 like it's like everything you knew about anything just changes. Like you just, you just start acknowledging for things. You become more grateful. And I don't think that you, you also are totally against the grain of society, like 120%. Like, so I don't know. It's just, it's just funny how they, how they punk and hardcore, they actually go hand in hand. I, w- I would say that devotees are more, um, are more intense about like the, the, the devotional life than straight edge people are, you know, straight edge people always like, are like, Oh, blah, you know, this and that. But devotees are also straight edge, but the, the, I think devotee life is the real straight edge. You know what I mean? Like a lot, of, most of them are all celibate and um, they're, they practice very stringently. A lot of people are here are very stringent and, you know, they, they work very, very hard on their sadhana and, you know, they're fixed and yeah, I don't know. There's some of the most intense, like amazing people I've ever met. And 
it's really great. Yeah. I, you know, it's good. It's good. It's good to have discipline in your life. Cause like, it's like driving a car without any regulation at all. And then you're just going to start crashing and stuff. And people wonder why their karma is so bad or like, why do things happen to me and blah, blah, blah. And they always want to blame everything else. But you know, it all comes from yourself. You, you have, you have the free will to do what you please. And, um, every action has a reaction. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's it's just, yeah, it's cool that you were able to, to, to find that, you know, important aspect of your life. It's really cool. Um, right, exactly. And this is my, this is my own personal, my personal thing. So, you know, I definitely never push it on anyone or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. That's why I, that's why I asked because I, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting and I think it's, uh, you know, it's always been a, an element of the punk and hardcore scene. And I just, I, I just, right. I, I'm glad that it's always there because it, I, I think people need to find something to anchor themselves rather than just, you know, being like, Oh yeah, it's like, fuck God, I'm an atheist. And it's just like, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> or, or just like, or just, you know, fuck everything. That, that's all, that's, that's a, another way people think is just fuck everything. And I don't care about anything. And yeah. who cares about the world? It doesn't, it doesn't benefit me. And you know, things like it doesn't help me. This doesn't help me. Why should I care about that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's people, it. We, like we a, just need a good grounding. If we, hello? Yeah, no, you, you, we just need a good grounding. Yeah. And I just think that like, you know, if, if, we want to change anything in the world. We have to ultimately change ourselves. So we can't do, make any change if we're not changed, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the last thing I would hit on was a uh, kind of a, I, I wouldn't call it a working theory per se, but something that I find, you know, incredibly interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking as a, as a person who, you know, still cares about, you know, punk and hardcore when I'm almost 40 years old. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so incredibly engaging where it's just like, you know, cause how old are you, are you in your early twenties? I'm guessing. I'm 24. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the access point for people such as yourselves, cause like, you know, whatever, j- just hopping into your Instagram feed, you, you know, clearly have a lot of interests like, you know, skateboarding, obviously Christian consciousness. Uh, but then, you know, you're also into fashion and you have, you know, the ability to put yourself out there in ways that, you know, other, uh, punk and hardcore kids, you know, whatever, 15 years ago would be like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know if this belongs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, I, I personally think that because there's so much, um, you know, visual candy and stimulation for, you know, people like the, the world that we live in now that you can kind of combine all of these different things to where, you know, whatever, 10 years ago people would be into, but they don't have the ability to kind of share that on a wide spectrum and influence people. Right. It's like, Oh, you can't like, yes, of course, fashion and hardcore like that that's always existed you know that's but just the, mm-hmm. the notion of kind of being able to put all this t- together in a weird stew um can kind of you know push it forward in ways like i i, I don't know if any of what i'm saying has any you know resonance to you no but, I, I no i understand but but yeah well, like, i'm not sure like how you what you want me to say though no 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 i i so the, the like i said the working theory is the fact that you know you yourself can be into all of these different things where um you know they're essentially two separate worlds um you know fashion is one world hardcore is another world um right but because you you exist in both you can kind of put them together in ways that other people necessarily can't so um i presume that's all enjoyable for you to kind of like you know be experiment in all these different platforms and mediums right well i think that like the the reason i even came to like a lot of things is like for instance i i learned i got more into fashion because of marissa she she went to school for um marketing with a with you know with a focus in fashion and she really inspired me I, i've always liked dressing in you know, a certain way and i never really cared too much about like you know expensive clothes or anything like that but i really enjoyed like 
like the the work that goes into photos and things like that. And to touch on what you were saying, like, like I think it's important for people to realize that like you don't only have to like hardcore. Like it's cool to like do other things. Like I think that's like so inspiring to like see like I don't know like someone I look up to in hardcore doing like something cool. Like I think someone in indecision indecision or something like that is like a congressman in New York or something, yep. I believe. Like, yeah, yeah. I think, I just think like stuff like that is like just so like important, like, because like hardcore is amazing and it's nectar and it, like, it, you know, it formed my life into what it is today, but I'm allowed to have other interests. You know what I'm saying? Cause like, I, I'm not trying to burn myself out and like, you know, this is all I like, this is it. I don't care about anything else. Like, no, like everybody should have different interests. We should all be able to talk about it. We should all be able to feel how we want about anything and talk about whatever we want in a certain way. And I, I don't know. I just like, I've always been like that though. I've always had like a diverse, like amount of interest my whole life. You know what I'm saying? Like even like I, w- I went from like skating, going to punk shows to like going to theater Academy. And like, just, I've always just been really open-minded when it came to like things I want to put myself into. I, you know, I don't often put myself, um, I'm really like, uh, how do I say, like I'm, I, I don't like putting myself out there too much, but like once once in a while I do, and then you know, and I just like I go full head into things uh, when it, when I'm really in, into something. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, like I, like I just announced yesterday that I'm walking for this vintage company called Shop the Break, and my friend Michael he got he was like, hey, like I, I saw that you really wanted to like try to start like you know like shooting for bands and stuff. And my friend runs this and they're doing a New York fashion show and they want you to walk in. I, you know, I was just like, yeah, like that's cool. Like I've never done anything like this. You know, I've never worn an outfit like that. And I just thought that that was like so cool and so interesting. So, and I always like to involve my friends. That's the thing. Like, all, like I gathered, I started a group chat. I was like, everybody has to go to this fashion show. It's just like, cool. Like just like getting everyone to like, just try something new and like everyone get out there. Like you seeing like a whole bunch of hardcore kids, like at a, at a, um, fashion show is just going to be so like sick. And like, yeah. even like some of the hardcore kids like that I'm friends with, it's just going to be like cool. Cause like even them, they're like into fashion, you know, not like that, but like, it's just cool to like experience new things. Get, I think that's the most important thing you could ever do in your life is just go experience stuff, go travel, go try things, go see things, go talk to new people. Don't, don't sit in your town and make big insinuations or like big judgments on the world. If you've never even experienced another person's life or culture, you know what I'm saying? People want to make huge things, huge accusations or like things about other people. They never even left like their neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like going to India was like the, one of the most important things that ever happened in my life because I would complain about the dumbest shit or like the way I lived and like blah, blah, blah. And I don't have this. And like those people literally don't have anything in the village where I was. They were just taking care of like their kids, feeding, begging for money, but they were all so fixed in their sadhana and their practice. And, and like, they were so into taking care of their family and taking care of themselves. You know, they weren't complaining. They were happy just to be chanting, dancing, you know, and just like trying their best to like, live and you know obviously that's their karma and they're all there but um you know i just like i don't know yeah i'm just going off on a limb here i'm just saying like i just think it's so important for everyone to just go like go crazy in life just like experience everything try to but but of course like try and be like a positive impact like don't 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 self-destruct and don't kill yourself and if you want to like and by, by kill yourself i mean like doing crazy drugs or anything like that i just you know but um I don't know. Yeah. No, I, 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 I just, re- I, I personally, I just like, Sorry. No, it's okay. I, I, I yeah, to stop your, uh, your your train of thought. I I understand where you're coming from because basically, the notion of 
uh, putting more influences in your head from, you know, different mediums and different worlds that may not make sense on the surface together will only add to the overall experience of not only you as a person in your life, but then you're able to take this stuff. And I mean, it's like, you know, l- l- because now punk and hardcore has existed since, you know, whatever the early eighties, as far as like hardcore specifically is concerned. Now, the fact that you're seeing all of these people that are in, you know, adults in, you know, uh, you know, high power positions that can all like have been profoundly influenced by punk and hardcore are now, you know, influencing fashion and influencing, you know, movies and all of these ways that like, you know, whatever, 20 years ago, you'd be like, Oh, there's no way. But it's like, now it's like, Oh dude, you're going to pay $300 for a vintage dark throne t-shirt. It's like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, it's, it's just <laughs> yeah. crazy to watch that full circle stuff. But like, yeah, to, like you, to your point, limiting yourself and only kind of sticking to one lane is only going to give you one experience as opposed to like 15. Right, exactly, and, and you know, and if you want to sit and like in your neighborhood and go just do whatever you were into, that's fine. You know, everyone's entitled to do what they please. I also want to say that I hate the fact that vintage shirts are that much, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to um, exploit hardcore in a sense where like I'm getting into all these things. I want everyone to get really into it because I still want the, the nectar of hardcore to be there. I don't, I don't want people paying all that money and all this crazy stuff. And I don't, it's cool. If hardcore stays in the streets. I, that's cool with me, but personally I'm in the hardcore and also like things that are a little out there. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not necessarily hoping that like, Oh, I hope like hardcore hits the mainstream and like blah, 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 even though it is, you know what I mean? There's nothing we can really do, but yeah. Um, you don't, yeah. 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 We don't, we don't control that. We're just, we're, we're simply passengers. That's all we are. <laughs> Exactly. That's, yeah. that's all we are in life. It's just simply passengers and the world works around us. <laughs> exactly. Well, Luis, thank you so much, dude. We've, uh, we've done it. I appreciate you. Uh, yeah. Taking the time with me and, uh, yeah. Walking me through all this stuff. I, it was uh, very enjoyable for me. No, no problem. I always go off on tangents and just speak. But, uh, you know, and I apologize for uh, going off topic a bunch of times, but, you know, I really appreciate you calling and it was really fun. Okay, okay. That was great. Thank you very much, Luis, for coming on the show. And if you have not checked out the Jesus Peace record, you are doing yourself a disservice. You have to do that. It's a really, really good record. Quite possibly maybe uh, making my uh, my top 10 list of the year, you know, just uh, tipping my hat a little bit. But uh, And that episode is coming up. Oh, man, I can't wait. We're actually going to be recording that in person. Holy moly, it's going to be so much fun. But anyways, the guest next week is another one of our sort of, I guess you call it buried treasures. Um, it's with my good friend, Justin Moranga. He plays in a band called ancestors and he also runs a record label called Dune altar records. Uh, they put out the entry seven inch and a bunch of other cool stuff, but we talk about, uh, you know, records or bands or record labels that you wrote off at one point in your life, but you now embrace. Oh my gosh. It was, it's a, it's a long episode, but it is worth it because there are all these records and bands that I kind of had my head cracked open and I was like, Oh wow, I haven't listened to that record. And then uh, I did and I really enjoyed it. So that's a super fun one uh, that is happening next week. And uh, yeah, until then, as usual, please be safe, everybody. Don't forget big shout out to the musician because you've probably always wanted to learn how to play a musical instrument, but you're like, where do I even begin? Let the musician app be your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice and master an instrument. It listens to you play and then gives you feedback real time on your accuracy. Become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today. Okay? Now, for real. Be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.
Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central, and join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.